Welcome to Walking Through Glass, the podcast. The podcast where you are invited to ear hustle on an intimate conversation between real women as they discuss their journey, joys, and diva hacks. I am your host, Dr. Dina C. Brown, executive coach, international best-selling author, and bold woman walking through glass every day. Walking Through Glass is about the struggle we face on our journey, which I describe as walking through glass. Our conscious conversations are all about real talk with real women that are doing their best to navigate fear, anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome, limited beliefs, negative self-talk, and other BS, you know, belief systems. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm so excited. Pat's here. Hi, Dr. Dina. <laughs> hey, this I'm is excited too. I'm like so excited. I've been like waiting for since I like first reached out. I'm like, okay, I can't wait to have Pat on the show and and have her just like share. There's so much. I know there's so many layers to you. And I know there's so many directions this conversation can go, which is why I'm so excited. And like I tell everybody, I know how we're going to start. I know how we're going to end only because I do the intro and I wrap it up. <laughs> what you put in the middle? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. This is going to be an adventure for both of us. So, you know, we're just, I'm just going to free flow and, and see where this leads us today. So I'm so happy with that. And so I want to just give everybody just like that little tidbit of how we got to here is that, you know, we talk about how do we begin to like build our network and our circles. And one of the groups that we both belong to is the FEMS and you create a post and sharing some resources in regards to um, businesses that were supporting, you know, black entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. especially in the midst of this cultural pandemic, what I call it. And I was so like, I, at first, to be honest with you, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want someone saying, Hey, here's just whatever else. But then I thought, no, wait a minute. You are, I was literally in the process of working with someone to do my trademark stuff and and researching firms to work with. And I thought, are you gonna let your pride get in the way and your ego get in the way of your excellence? Duh, you better reach out. And so (laughs) I was like, and I felt like my friend, it was such a sincere offer. You know what I mean? I I I, he, I really felt like it was coming from his heart. And I reached out to him because he posted on his personal Facebook page. 
And I said, hey, I know a group with some really wonderful, you know, female entrepreneurs and just a really amazing group of women who are so diverse, not just in, you know, in terms of our backgrounds and everything else, but in terms of business. And he was like, go for it, you know? And so I wouldn't have posted it there if I didn't think it was sincere. And that's how I felt because I really trust a lot of the people that post in FEMS. And so I did reach out. I've gotten wonderful, like immediately, immediate feedback and support. They're working on, you know, um, my trademark filings and et cetera. And I was just like, wow, look at the- amazing. You know, he followed up and he said, thank you so much for sending over referrals. And he's like, I'm already working with um, a couple of ladies. And I was like, wow. And I was, I didn't know um, who. So that's great to hear. Yeah. And my girlfriend and I shared it with uh, another person I invited into the FEMS group. And she's like, yeah, I had this laundry list because she was also shopping for, you know, legal representation for things she was working on. And it was really timely. And so I had to get over myself at that point. Yeah. Um, and we talk about how mindset's important. And I thought, you know, I wasn't looking for a handout for some, you know what I mean? It was no, just, yeah. but it was, it's a me thing. Like I said, letting your ego get in the way of your uh-huh. ex. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay, excuse me, miss, you got these massive projects and your budget to align with it. You know, you might want to take a stronger look before you say, no, I'm not going to reach out, especially when the offer is sincere. And that's how I felt. And it was, like I said, right on there. So I am so appreciative. But there was something else when I when I read like your post and I looked up because I always do a little search and see who it is. I might see their post. (laughs) I actually I actually then kind of do a little um, inspector gadget, you know, Matlock. Uh And go, okay, let me find out more about who this person is if I don't know them. And I was like, wow, you know what? I think they have an amazing story. And I thought, I would love to have her on my podcast. I wonder if she would do it. And I I almost didn't even, I thought she's not going to do it, you know? And I was like, you know what? Go for it. Let's ask and see. I'm sure, you know. You know what? I, I think that we must have this thing in common because, you know, sometimes things just happen for a reason. And, And I have so many stories throughout my life of just talking to strangers. And it's one of my like core beliefs is like people will surprise you when you let them, that you just go through life, like with your eyes open to, um, to having new things happen around you. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've met in the strangest ways. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing. It makes it makes life so much more beautiful when you're open to those things, you know? When you're really open and even still because it I took a risk. Like again, I have walking through glass the podcast with your conscious conversations and guests come on and talk about whatever I call it their glass is. <laughs> you uh-huh, know, uh-huh. and they talk about it. But then I said I want to do a very special series about race, class, and uh-huh. sisterhood. Mm-hmm. And and talk about and have an open dialogue a conscious conversation about what people are feeling mm-hmm. right now, whatever it is and from their own frame and looking through their own lens of experience. And it has really transformed me where I literally want to do these like all the time because the conversations have been so powerful and so raw with people really sharing in an open space about what it is 
that they're thinking right now. Mm-hmm. And again, it's all relevant to their own personal experience. And then, and I said, okay, all right, like Pat, do you want, do you want to talk about that? And you're like, well, I'll check it out. I don't know. Cause you might be suspect, you know, she might be, I don't know about this chick. Let me know. No, so I, had to, I had to do a little digging too. Cause you know, you just, <laughs> It's good though. It's good. You know, we checked each other out a little bit to see, okay, what's this person about? And then you just, you know, you go for it. So. So I was so happy and I was just like, oh my gosh, I really hope. And I was just like, I am not going to like, let this go. Like, I don't care if it's like, she's not on the show, like right now, but she will be eventually. (laughs) (laughs) But listen, I want to say when I looked into a little bit of what you're doing, I can see you're just so full of life and energy and, you know, you're just bringing positive things to this world. And, um, and I could feel the sincerity from you too. And, and I think, you you know, having that as, you know, as a, as a, you know, a, uh, I want to say preface, but I don't know what else, what other word to use as, um, you know, a precondition just to have that out of the way where you feel like, okay, this person is sincere. They really want to, you know, talk person to person, um, when you can have that, it's so, it's so refreshing, especially when the world just seems so messed up when you can find that. Yeah. It, I'm telling you, it's <laughs> like I said, it, it can. And, and, and I made a conscious decision that although it can be overwhelming in this season where we're coming from, a um, a health and a COVID pandemic, and then we're coming to a whole social justice and what I call a cultural pandemic. And we're really looking awakening, at like just a pain awakening. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is requiring paradigm shifts. And people have to understand when you have a paradigm shift, it means that you have new knowledge and awareness and now you need to shift. Yeah. It's going to cause shit. Well, technically it should cause a shift in your thinking <laughs> doing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but sometimes people are stuck in that. So I just want to say thank you for saying yes and thank you for coming. And oh now, thank you for having me. I, I I think I mentioned to you before I was really a uh, little bit uh, surprised and thrown off, but you know it's it's so great to be here. So thanks for having me. And so now you get to tell us about you, who you are, what what what's been on your mind as you've looked at again things that have occurred in your life i know a little bit about your story but i want you to be able to tell your story and your on your terms and your words is that looking at you know the big spectrum of what's happening mm-hmm. you know and even the timeliness of this even being june you know and may flowing into june and the connectivity the intersectionality about what's happening in the world and i thought you have an amazing story and i so excited about you sharing it with all our listeners yeah well uh well that is a very big open ended <laughs> um but um you know i told you before i did i didn't want to make all the focus about me and my story but um but i'm from san jose california um And then I lived in Seattle for over 10 years. And then I moved to China and I lived in China for close to seven years. And that's where I met my wife. Um, She's Chinese. She's from China. And I am the first non-Chinese person that she ever talked to in her life. And we met at a lesbian bar in Chengdu, China. So um, talk about unexpected things happening in life. Um, First of all, I've never thought I would 
meet anyone in a serious relationship, let alone marriage in a bar. You know, it's not the kind of place you think that you're going to meet anyone. Um, so, uh, so we lived there together for a while and then we moved back to San Jose, which I never thought I would. Um, I didn't like San Jose because I grew up in the suburbs. So definitely I came from a more protected, uh, you know, sort of middle-class background, um, a lot of diversity in the neighborhood in terms of Southeast Pacific Asian Islander, um, and that kind of thing, but not a lot of black folks in the neighborhood where I grew up. And in my high school, we had, um, I think five black kids out of about 400 something. But, um, so, you know, my neighbor across the street, um, neighbors across the street growing up, uh, for part of the time, um, their, their dad is white and, uh, and their mother black. And so, sort of, I had stuff around me, but not at the level that, um, other parts of the country that, you know, experience, um, sort of black culture and black music and life. So when I moved to Seattle, um, I remember taking the bus and just being around other kinds of diversity that I hadn't experienced. And I just, I loved it. It was kind of just like, wow, I was so happy to be out of this bubble of the suburbs, you know? So I didn't think I would ever want to move back to San Jose. Um, because I associated it with that kind of like protected bubble. But um, we, we live in a little bit more of um, the central San Jose. So it's like a pretty good walking score. Um, you have more culture and art and music and stuff. So I discovered that I just don't like the suburbs, but I actually um, like this part of California. So yeah, and you alluded to this with it being June is, you know, with Pride Month, talking about sort of intersectionality and um, you know, uh, gosh, there's so much that I could say here. You know, you're really opening up a big can of worms. Um, I know. Well, I I wanted to I wanted the can to open and you to pull out. It's like a lunchbox. You want to take out your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You want to take out your your juice box? You want to take out the carrots? Or do you want to drink for the Twinkies and the cupcakes? And you know, and, and I was thinking about this, and I had thought about asking that question until I thought about. May being, you know, you have Pacific Islander, you know, you right, have right. So what I, that's what I meant. And you have this whole movement because we've talked about, you know, Black Lives Matter. However, there's still this intersectionality that's there where during this COVID pandemic, you've also had people from China who have been persecuted. Because yeah. Of that. Yeah. And you now have this whole um, pride LGBT community who's also and there's so many inner it's like oh my god there's so many layers to this i didn't even think about it until i was sitting here going oh my gosh this is <laughs> this is huge because there's so many layers and so many ways that you can approach it and what you're going through your mind as you experience these different interactions from a personal level through like my wife is living through this where you know some people are looking and saying and some special people are out there saying, okay, the Chinese caused this COVID pandemic and they're to blame and, and no, you know, and then there's so many, it is a lot. Is what? Yeah, actually I, I have to confess my mind is kind of exploding right now. Like I don't even know where to start, but um, gosh, I've had so many, so many weird things happen. Um, like, um, you know, so the woman that I dated before Michelle um, was from Taiwan, but before her, I hadn't, I hadn't been with, um, anyone Asian, not 
for any reason at all. I just hadn't had that experience. But some people who recently met me would be like, oh, your wife is Chinese and your ex-girlfriend. So you have like the yellow fever, huh? And it really just like, like what? Like it really, really bothered me because it's like, look, like you can find beautiful people everywhere in the world. Beautiful people come in all colors and all different types of, um, you know, it's just the idea that, that people want to put it in a category, like that's my type. And sometimes, um, you know, in the LGBTQ community, especially with gay men on dating apps, sometimes people will say like, oh, my type is this, but not that. And they'll just explicitly say like no blacks or something. I've talked to some of my um, gay friends who have said they've seen stuff like that or experienced stuff like that. And, um, And I just think, how can you make your type like a color or ethnicity? Like that to me, um, that's just so crazy. And whether you're thinking like, oh, it's cool that that's your type or it's not cool. Like either way, I just, um, and, and again, that doesn't mean being colorblind, right? Like I think that's like comes from like the nineties, right? That was the fashionable, <laughs> <laughs> like, and some people still talk that way these days, like, oh, I don't even see color. It's like, you know, but then you're just erasing the beautiful parts of people. Like, like that's ridiculous to try to even make that claim. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting experience for Michelle too, because in China she would have people coming up to her and being like, Oh, you're dating a white girl. Like, can you handle her in the bedroom? You know? Cause like they watch Hollywood films. So they think that we're all like crazy. <laughs> and, she was like, and she was like, what? You know? So I guess, you know, people, people, it goes to show the power of the media, the power of visibility and the stories that are told. And, you know, when I talk about China, I say, it's not this or that it's this and that, and that, and that. Right. So some of the criticism you hear about China is, is legit. Like it's valid. Um, And yet it's a totally incomplete story. And I think when you start having these incomplete stories, that's where you get in a lot of trouble. And that's, and, and it's, it's interesting that you said that. And like I said, my aunt Loretta, her wife is white uh-huh. and I live in Kansas. Uh-huh. And oh, wow. I, yes. <laughs> and I live in Kansas. Uh-huh. And um, I just like remember being in college. And so that's a, it's a really unique story because I remember being in college and going from San Diego and going to um, Kansas, Wichita. They were in Wichita, actually. And I met her. I mean, not met her, but I hadn't been around, you know, in a long time. Not as an adult. Like, so, mm-hmm. and I said, mm, I said, I bet she's a lesbian. I just knew it. <laughs> well, my grandparents. But, and then my, and my other aunt, Jackie, who was married to my uncle. So she's a, um, aunt by birth, by uh, marriage. She's like, you know. Yeah, like, but nobody wanted to talk about it, right? Mm. And so, and at that time, though, the woman that she was with, and she was a black woman, she was so mean, and my aunt looked so bad, like she just looked ragged, you know. Mm. And I found she was abusive, and so then I remember after that, that happens in same-sex relationships too, and that's not talked about. Awful, yeah, not talked about enough. And so then I remember. The second person she dated when she kind of came out to my grandparents. So the rest of us are like, okay, like, really? You're just clue to this? <laughs> but she officially came out and it was like Christmas. And we used to go at Christmas and, and um, 
4th of July. And so she brought, I think her name was Denise and stuff. And she was really sweet, but I could see the blossom and the glow on my aunt, you know? And so I don't know whatever happened to that relationship. Again, like I said, I've been in California, they've been in Kansas and stuff. And so I just remember that we were like, we love you, you know, to me, I don't care, you know, we yeah. love who you love, you know, yeah. you're happy, you look great. I'm so glad, you know, you're, you know, you're finally, but I remember that there was just this fear of, you know, what are my grand, what were her, pa- her parents, my grandparents, but yet they're like, we love you and you can, you know, that person's welcome here. And so I just remember this transition to when she got married to her wife now, and she's now they've been married. She wasn't married to the other. She now it was like, oh my gosh, absolutely love her. And we just saw her um, at my cousin's wedding um, a couple months ago, actually in Vegas, we were all in Vegas. And, and so you talk about this evolution but people don't know like your own story. And like, when we were first talking, you're like, okay, what about my story? I'm like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> but how would you know that? You know what I mean? That okay, so actually I wanted to run something by you. That's totally related to this. So, um, I'm really curious. Um, is it okay if I, if I kind of pick your brain about this? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a paranoid person. Like I don't go walking around thinking like, Oh, everyone around me is homophobic. You know, I definitely give people the benefit of the doubt, but I have had enough experiences where, you know, somebody says they're cool and they're cool, but especially when it comes to, um, in some cases and definitely not always people who are quite religious, you know what I mean? And so, um, there are these levels of, of coolness or whatever, where, you know, someone can be like and it's interesting for Michelle coming to this country because she'll and I will leave somewhere and I'll say, "Wow, that person is really not comfortable with us." And she'll say, "What? They're, but they're so nice. They're so they're just so nice. You know, like that kind of church nice, like that kind of." <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, uh huh. But sometimes I said, I'm I'm like, I'm sure they're very nice. Just because somebody's nice doesn't mean they can't be racist or homophobic. Like a Absolutely. perfectly nice person, right? So. So that person was really nice, but you know, you find out later, oh, but they think you're going to hell or they want to save you or, um, or, lo- you know, love the, the, what do they say? Love, love the, the sinner, hate the sin, whatever. Um, so, so you find out like that sometimes you can, you know, what very rarely in my mouth, in my life, have I come across like blatant homophobia, like in my face. I have, but very, very rarely. It's oftentimes more this really subtle variety. And, um, and and definitely I would in no way try to say that I understand what it is to be black or what it feels like to walk through the the world and have my life experiences being black. But I'm just curious, um, that feeling when, you know, of not knowing how cool someone is and having that linger there where you're like hanging out with someone like you can like, you know, some, there are people, I think people think like racism. Um, some people think like racism is like this blatant thing. That's like in Hollywood movies where it's like the, 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 the terrible racist, whatever. But I think oftentimes it's something far more insidious and far more subtle than that. And what I find is when I'm around people where I just don't know if they, if they think I'm going to hell, like I just can't relax around them. Yeah. No, and I'm just, no, and I'm just wondering, is that, is that like, again, I'm not trying to say I know what it is to be black, but is that, is that, is that relatable to what it feels like? Absolutely. <laughs> and, 
And and part of the research that I'm working on with imposter syndrome, which is kind of how this really started to jump off, is that I'm actually looking at the intersectionality between race, class, and trauma. Because mm-hmm. think about it, is that if you are, you know, part of the LGBTQ community and you're black, that's oh, yeah. Whole nother, and so I there, remember watching uh, Wanda Sykes. I love Wanda Sykes. Yeah, I love Wanda Sykes. Hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> and it, it is. It's kind of walking into a space. And I used to say, growing up, I rather deal with a bigot any day. At least I know where I stand. Mm-hmm. I rather have someone be openly prejudiced and say I don't like you because you're black than someone who pretends mm-hmm. because that's dangerous. Because that's the person that will slit your throat when you turn around. And so I think that there's definitely um, some correlations. And I think that when we, when we look at it and we're having conversations. And so when I went to the last rally in LA and again, it says again, black trans lives matter. Oh, black, yeah. it like, is a hard week for black trans women with two, yeah, yes. two murders. Yeah. I think we're up to about 20 this year. It's just, I have some trans friends who are just, uh, yeah you know, really grieving. It's, um, horrible. And it's, um, horrible. it's, it's really, really awful. Yeah. It's horrible. And so for me on my journey and, and, and where I'm at again, like I said, I can only speak for myself and any client I work with, or when I go into a company or I'm speaking to a group or I'm on stage somewhere, I'm the same. I'm, I will use the same language. If I tell people, if you really just worry about yourself, <laughs> about whether you're going to heaven or not. Just worry about you. I don't need you to save me. Okay. Yeah. It's you just, know, that's so not arrogant, your job. you know, and it's so arrogant. Like you, you were right on it is that you have to, again, I am a woman of faith. Mm. And if you really understand, okay. That God is love period. Yeah. Yeah. Period. And that we place our own determinations and whether or not even some people that I know and family members that I know who might say, okay, great. I love you, but this is wrong. Okay. I don't even get caught up with them in that conversation because you can't have that conversation with me. Yeah, I am not having that conversation with you. Why? Because that's really none of your business. And if you truly were a believer, you know, that's between them and God, not you. Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. I do think that um, there's been there's been like an open, more of an openness to people of faith within the LGBTQ community to talk about this. Um, HRC has done some work on this um, with the like faith-based communities um, because I think before it felt like you had to choose like the church or being openly gay. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and I think it's interesting to see, I mean, we have a church just down the street with a big rainbow flag and that, and, and it's, you know, not, it's not what you would call a gay church. It's, it's just um, a church, but the pastor there is is gay, and he's a friend of ours. And um, my mom actually st- started wanting to f- find a church, and so I started doing some church hopping with her, as I called it. And um, it was a really interesting experience. I think, I think for some people in the LGBTQ community, it's like almost like um, uh, really almost like traumatic because of the the. I don't think people realize um, how deep like rejection cuts. You know what I mean? Like how much it hurts and how much it impacts like self-esteem and confidence. And, um, and, and so, um, I've not, not myself personally, I haven't been through those things fortunately, but I have friends, um, and even friends who have attempted suicide. So, I mean, I think 
people don't realize like just how um, when, when you, when you find like true acceptance and you can live your authentic life and be who you are and be proud of who you are and, you know, live in your truth. Like it's just what that does for you, for your life. And it's just so sad that that's not the um, reality for so many people who are facing all different types of rejection, bigotry, you know, racism. It just makes me very, very, very sad. Um, that that's going on. And, you know, we, we know that that's been going on, but just that it's been, it's being like, you know, just televised and, and recorded in a way where nobody can say, you know, I remember before people would say, Oh, we're, you know, we're not, we got over our racism as a country or whatever, like racism doesn't exist. I remember people talking like that. It was people used to talk like that more openly, especially right after like Obama was elected. Like it was like, we're in this post race era or something. And um, now if somebody tries to say that it's like the easiest way to identify yourself as a racist. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And here's the thing too. And I was having this conversation earlier and it was not even necessarily whether you are racist or not, but are you an anti-racist or are you a pro what? Mm. Because people opt out by saying, I'm not a racist. Just because you don't want to march doesn't make you a racist. Mm. But we're speaking now about people tearing down an institution and right. becoming anti-racist, anti-discrimination, mm-hmm. not saying that you were a person that did it. Right. And so people have been able to opt out and say, oh, it wasn't me. Oh, it's not, I didn't do anything. And like you said, yeah, the thing is, I think that's hard for people to come to terms with is even if you didn't personally do anything that, that you're aware of, like whether you like it or not, you benefited from a system with structural racism. Right. And that it wasn't, people try to say, oh, it was like so, such a long time ago. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. And and trauma gets passed down through generations. And that's another thing that I think a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about, or maybe they're in denial about, um, you know, I don't know. I, it, it's like, if people, some people seem to think like, if you just like, why are we talking about this? Like they think it's going to make it right. worse. <laughs> right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. People are wondering, like, if we talk about it, we should just get over it. We should just let that go. You should just move on. And when you say that, and, and I just had this conversation and I kind of chuckled because when we talk about privilege and we talk about when people say that to someone, I said, I have some people who literally have meltdowns because their goldfish or their dog died and they leave whole estates. They're traumatized. And I've had a few people that I've known who they were older when one of their animals died, that they died from grief from their animal. But yet they see a human life decimated on TV and they say, well, yeah, okay, we should kind of get over it. And they don't recognize that you don't see this. Or they try to say like that, that person had a criminal history, like, or they try to make up reasons for, uh, to to attack that person's character, which I just cannot, um, you know. (laughs) I don't know. That's, that's really, really, but it it is. And when you asked earlier about like the parallels and I think about 
the stereotypes. So for instance, when you talk about stereotypes and if you even, if, and predominantly you, you really didn't, again, my platform is really about speaking to women. And I think that sometimes our our stories are not told and the focus is on men. And even within um, the gay community and lesbian community, is that you don't hear so much about the lesbian, but you hear more about the men mm-hmm. and, attack, and when it happens to women that you just don't see it mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. and it's kind of downplayed. So I have a whole, <laughs> I have a, I have a whole layer of that that I also kind of speak to and process to that women's lives matter mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. In the role of black women's lives matter because there was a Sandra Bland and there was a Breonna Taylor before there was a George Floyd. Yeah. And, and but yet that it wasn't the catalyst that really triggered everybody. But I also think that too, when you talked about stereotypes and that growing up is that when you thought about someone being gay, it was a flamer, they were promiscuous, they had to be over the top. Right, right. <laughs> And, and I remember my uncle, like I said, when you talk, it was, it was really interesting. One of my uncles also is gay. Uh-huh. <laughs> a couple of them. I'm just saying like, they're, uh-huh. <laughs> and some of them have been um, married to, you know, um, white men or different you know, ethnicity. You know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. why I said, oh, honey, I'm not, this is not new for me. <laughs> this Oh, okay. And, and, but also looking at, like you said, you had the nice, nasty people, I call them, mm-hmm. and that they're smiling in their face. And when they walk out the room, there's a different conversation. Yeah. And it's never set well with me. If I didn't like something, I have been very candid about sharing, you know, yeah. with people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, that no- you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to do that. And so are you, are you mean to kids or old people or animals? Okay. Then I don't like you. Other than that. Okay. We're pretty good. Like, you know what I mean? Like when I look at my boundaries, as I've grown into my boundaries and like I said, my awarenesses mm-hmm. of, of really my own biases, my own implicit biases, because mm-hmm. I had to do some deep diving for myself is that I probably at certain points in my life, I had more problem with white people than I had with gay people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, Mm-hmm. You're, I don't care about you being gay, but, but you're white, you know? Okay. No. And it wasn't. But see, but see, that's so great because I mean, it's just this, this, and I, I feel like I kind of cut in here, but, but just that self-awareness that you, that to, to know that and to be willing to like, look at that honestly within yourself, I think that's going to, it's going to take a lot of that from everyone. But it stemmed from my own experiences and my own traumas. And like you said, rejection. And mm-hmm. so when I had to ask, where did this come from? Mm. And it came from, again, like I said, I was bust in the 70s. Uh-huh. And so I was bust out of my neighborhood to go to an all-white school to integrate that school. And how I was treated by white people at that school, including white teachers. Wow. And how the feelings of feeling inferior <laughs> even though I fought to be the smartest, the this, the that, you know what I mean? I had to push to that. And even in that case, I remember um, in, what was I, what grade was I in? Was I in the fourth grade when I went to Toluca Lake? Uh, when I went back to Toluca Lake, which is in North Hollywood, and I remember there was a spelling bee. And we had to take a test. And I feel like I recently watched a Brady Bunch episode. I felt like Cindy and Bobby in that episode. But I, I went and we did the spelling bee. And I remember it was like, you're not going to, the the thought that I made it to the finals 
was like a shocking piece. And then I remember being on stage and getting to the final round and I was spelling a word. And I remember I started spelling the word and I stopped and I paused and then I picked back up from the last letter and spelled the rest of the word Mm -hmm. and then spelled it all over again. Well, I would have had first place, but I did it. They said, oh, you misspelled the word. I said, no, here's the spelling. I go, no, you repeat the letter. I said, I was picking back up oh. when I did a pause. Yeah. And it was at this particular school in this particular time to have a black student <laughs> win the spelling. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it, so when I said my, my, I had to go back and go, where did this bias come from? Like, where did these feelings come from? Who wouldn't let me have lunch with them? Who kind of talked about me? Because again, I was usually the only or one of the onlys in the classroom. Yeah. And, and so when I got older and I thought, okay, what is it? Like I said, my sister, her husband's wife. And so <laughs> it was like, uh-huh. why are you marrying him? I mean, he's great. He's such a, he's, I love him, but mm-hmm. he's so funny, but it wasn't that he's a bad, but I thought you're such a prize. She graduated from Berkeley. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. A black man deserves you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's true that, you know, the experiences that we have leave really deep imprints on us. I mean. Yeah. So it took me doing the work. And and the bottom line is it took me doing the work. Whenever these biases bumped up, I had to go back and say, okay, wait a minute. Let me make this conscious, make the unconscious conscious. Where is this really coming from? Because that person themselves, it's not them. Where, Where, what memory is this attached to? And how do I begin to rewrite that tape? And I started to doing that kind of inner work several years ago. And that began that, um, that journey to like, okay, you have to check yourself. It doesn't mean that the memory doesn't pop up. It means that I have to check myself because even what's happening now in the black lives matter movement and things were happening. And, and I had to check my own implicit bias again. Why? Remember I'm bus. I was moved from different schools. I was told you're not like them. Uh, From the time I was, you know, six, seven years old, very impressionable all the way. Um, You're smart. Like you're not like them. Oh, you don't talk like them. Well, everybody in my family speaks like I do. And if people are listening to me on the phone, they go, oh, I didn't realize you're black. I've had people say that to me when I walked in. I have a friend who actually is, um, has a really, really high position in one of the top tech companies. And he just posted on Facebook about his experience growing up in Atlanta and he was talking about how he lived in a, in a very affluent black neighborhood. Like all, everyone around him was successful. And he was saying how, um, how he was kind of like um, trained in him that like, that he can avoid the negative effects of race through higher education and working hard. And he kind of, you know, kind of broke down that he realized all this time later that, that doesn't protect you. And it was, I thought it was very good that he could share that because I do think that it's interesting. I I think that um, just like any community, like the LGBT community, any community, there's just so much diversity of thinking and different ways, different perspectives on things, different ways of handling things, you know? And I think um, it's really interesting to hear all the different, you know, sort of angles and perspectives on things. But um, that's, it's kind of heartbreaking, you know, like the parents trying to 
teach their kids how to avoid it, how to, mm-hmm. how to not be like that. And then how does that, you know, sort of perpetuate internalized uh, bias? Right. And, and it was interesting too, for my son. I mean, my son just turned 18 and he just graduated from high school wow. and um, so he's class of 2020. He's class of 2020. <laughs> Man, class of 2020 high school graduates are, is he, was he super bummed? Like a lot of the high school kids, like just bummed. No, like you have no, he was like, okay, mom, you, my son, I'm telling him he's my anchor. He's like, okay, like you're having a moment more than I am. Okay. I don't, I don't dwell on what I can't deal with or change. So it's good. It's sad. Wow. I miss mom. It's sad, whatever, but oh, well. And that's my son, which also my son for reference, again, he's born in 2002. He was born in Seoul, Korea. He was raised okay. in Germany. Uh-huh. And before coming back here, we lived in Seoul, Korea. I lived 16 years overseas. I just moved back to the United States in 2016. That's why I said our stories resonate so much. I moved I back in 2016 too. So you must have like uh, talk about reverse culture shock, right? You went through all that. Yeah. So we, so coming back. And so for him, his whole life has been spent in an international space. And although for me were certain things that he encountered, he didn't pick up on the, the biases and the discriminatory pieces, but he was buffered because of my position. Right. And because of my leader, my role. But right. there were some times where he actually came under attack because people were attacking me and inadvertently then going after my son, which is why I had to make a shift. <laughs> is that because I said, I will blow up every freaking person in this place. You come after my <laughs> no, kid. Right. Get <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mama so, bear. So that's, so that's why I said, you know, that living in an Asian culture. <laughs> Growing up, I tell him you're Berean, you're a little black Berean boy, okay? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's Korea, yeah. So, oh man, that's a whole nother conversation. No, that's why I told you, okay, honey, we're on this, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really, um, just as a little side note, like it was really interesting to hear how, like, people and I don't know if it was like this in Korea, but people in China would talk to me and say, oh. America, we heard America is very, very racist. Yes. They would say that to me. And and I would say, yes, we have a major problem. We, we have to uh, address it. It's a, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, like I would talk about it very openly. And I've actually had a couple of cases in China where people um, would say, and I'm not saying this about definitely not at all about all Chinese people, but some people saying things in China, like, well, we don't have that problem here. We don't have racism here. But then saying like, oh, I don't want to sit next to a black person because I don't feel safe. Right. <laughs> and then I said, well, you know that that's like the definition of racism, right? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. Don't you put your American uh, standards on me over here in China. Like, no, no, no. You're racist over there. We don't have that problem here. And this is something that like really gets under Michelle's skin. So she's yeah. on a mission to like call people out. Um, it's so true because yeah. in Korea, it's very similar. Now, like I said, I have a PhD. You know how they value education. Right. So one Oh, you teacher, you person. Oh, I'm in a whole nother category now. Right. So I'm no longer black first. Right. No, totally. It's all about um, status. Absolutely. Right. 
and they're going to hold you. That is, it was that. But it was so interesting because before Xavier was born, because I went and moved to Korea in 2000. And okay. I would be with my friends and the other educators, et cetera. And um, we would be on the metro or the train. And I remember a friend of mine, he would be on the train. And you would, and even myself, every now and again, I'd feel someone touching my skin. They thought the brown rubbed oh. off. And oh, then God. once, and my friend was so mad when I say he was so angry because someone finally got up the nerve and they kept, you know, you know, talking and stickering. They were trying to point and they were trying to see behind him because the train was crowded because they were looking for his tail because they thought black men had tails like monkeys. Oh, and, God. So, and this is in 2000, 2001, you know, this is. <laughs> and so it. It's, it's, I've, I've had so many unique experiences. I'm telling you, I tell people I can provide so much context for people and from a corporate space, an educational space to a lived space. <laughs> that is not even funny. Um, but you're so right. People say it's not me. And one of the things that they have to understand is that with racism, if you're speaking about racism, you cannot separate it from the social economic aspect because racism is about power constructs. I was just going to say that because you were so, you know, you're ta- you sort of talking about yourself and growing your self-awareness about your, you know, sort of being, you know, traumatized by those, those white people growing up, you know, and then realizing that you had that leftover. I almost jumped in and said, okay, but you know, when people start talking about reverse racism, what they're missing in all this is it's all about relationships of power. Yes. And so I could be you can't really biased. like, like you, could, you could be biased. You can have like those uh, stereotypes, but that's a different thing than what happens in the U.S. towards black people systemically. So and so that's huge. And so that's why I said people don't have context. And so what I decided about how do I what's my role in this dogfight is that. I knew, again, I've, I've gone to a march and I spoke at a rally um, last weekend because they asked me to talk about the institution, especially in regards to education. But I realized that I'm not going out to rallies every weekend. That's not my thing. Mm-hmm. I use the power of my voice and I use the method in which I want to serve to mm-hmm. make a conscious decision for me. Mm-hmm. Not what someone thinks I should do for what I want to do. And so I have a couple of things. I launched the racial literacy um, for leaders roundtable, which is an open space for leaders. Once the first Tuesday of the month from now into perpetuity until it's not, you know, to come and talk about what, how they're processing and have a space, safe space mm-hmm. to talk about really their own things outside of, like I said, their work, because they don't want to, if they're judged there, then sometimes it becomes a liable issue, becomes all this other stuff. So it becomes a safe space for them to talk and get support. And then I'm actually building as a result of my mom reaching out and going, I don't really understand a lot of this stuff. I don't really know my history. Like I studied it. I studied it and taught myself this when I was 18 is that I'm doing a context for conversation series, context for conversation, context for clarity and context for consciousness. And so they're actually teaching lessons to give people the tools to have conversations that make sense because now they have a frame of reference to go, oh, this is why now I can actually speak intelligently to somebody else to get my viewpoint across because now I have context. So that's, that's really, really great. So, um, so it's interesting. You talked about going to check out sort of my my Facebook post, whatever. Actually, before this all kind of started, I decided to take a month off of posting because I was just getting kind of overwhelmed with, with Facebook. Even this is before um, it, things really started to heat up. 
And I almost jumped back on, but I said, you know what? No, I'm going to stick to that. And so for a month now, I've just been reading what everyone else is writing and um, consuming a lot of um, blogs and podcasts. You have to listen to your, your podcast, um, YouTube videos, um, articles, um, watched um, some lectures, you know, how to be an anti-racist um, by um, uh, he was um, interviewed on Brene Brown on, on her mm-hmm. show. And so I've been, I've been, but also just like testimonials, like people just on YouTube, like talking very real about what they've experienced. And um, I've actually found that to be really, um, really important is to start with that context. You know, like you, like, even if I think, oh, I'm a West Coast girl, I'm progressive, whatever. I, I, I always thought of myself, I told myself the story that I was that I'm cool, right? I'm open-minded and, and I'm inclusive and I embrace diversity and all of that. But I think what what has happened in this climate is it kind of woke me up to, okay, like I need to stop and like take some time to, to understand on a deeper level. Because obviously like, you know, middle school history and, and, and Black History Month doesn't cut it. You know what I mean? So, um, so I didn't know things. Like I didn't know about Black Wall Street. Um, there's a lot of things that I've been learning and it's been really, really humbling. And um, I had a friend who's from a small country in Asia call me and say that she's been scared to post on Facebook because all her friends are posting black lives matter. And I said to her, I said, well, well, do you have a, an issue with the statement black lives matter? She goes, no, well, I believe that, but I just feel like I don't know how to, talk about it. I don't know how to post it. She's like, you know, only lived in the U S for several years. And she's like, I feel like I'm like walking in as a guest to someone else's home. And there's this like huge family fight. And I'm just like standing there. Like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know the history between the people that are fighting. And I said, and you know, it's really interesting when I'm in the position where like, and I'm not educated on all on how to talk to people the best advice I could think to give her is I said, well, how about like take away all the noise of everything going on and, you know, you believe Black Lives Matter. That's a good starting point. Like that should not be a controversial statement ever. It's not a left or right or a political thing. It's just a statement, right? So um, I said, I said, how about go start just listening to thoughtful, um, authentic, sincere uh, black people talk about their lived experience, like talk about what they've been through. There's these amazing videos on YouTube. And she said, will you, will you send me some? And I said, sure. Because I feel like that takes away, like, I feel like you said, like that's, I really believe you have to start where you are and also start with other people where they are. Um, and so it's a, it's an environment where people want to be like quick to, to judge, well, you know, whose side are you on kind of thing. But um you know, some, there's no toolkit. There's no like, like ready prepackaged, you know, 12 step program or something to go through. Like, I know, you know I'm, kind of working, I'm working on the, I'm working on a series for that. Okay. <laughs> like, See, I, know, just, I, I just plugged you right there. I didn't even know. Because I actually on the, on the 20th, actually coming up on Saturday, I have a masterclass on how to develop your own anti-racist action plan. And so and everything you just said is part of that, taking people through, where do I start by starting where I'm at? What does that look like? But how is it aligned to your gifts? 
How does it align to what you do? And if you're a business owner, how do you do this and still not lose sight of that you're a business owner, that you still have a job and that? So how do you really begin to design your own plan based on mm-hmm. your own and your own truth. And I got, I did it because literally I had so many people. And like I said, if you're part of my circle, I've asked me, you know, I rather you feel safe and ask me stuff, than kind of get out there and jump out there and get your head crunched off. And now you're traumatized. Ask me, you know, and I'll tell you and help you as best I can, you know? And I said, and if it's something that I, I can't answer, or I'm not in the position or wanting to, I'll let you know that too. But I realized that I, again, my gifts is in educating and providing context. Yeah. So how do I do that? But then also as an entrepreneur, I was like, wait a minute, I was getting ready to launch a new mastermind. I was getting ready to do this. I'm in the middle of a launch. And it was like, well, why don't you just offer this class? (laughs) That's great. Listen, not everyone can do that. And that's kind of what I was talking about before is like, is everyone is so different in their response to this and to be able to, to take that on you know, I mean, it's got to be emotionally draining at times. It's got to be, I mean, you know, I, the trauma side is, and I'll be honest with you, you know, and I, and I know like time-wise that I'm so appreciative of you just give me your time, um, for that and time loss can be gained. So I want to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cause oh, I God, know no. <laughs> going on, like I said, I know that you have stuff going on. So, but I wanted to say this point is that deal like, I don't watch the trauma videos anymore. But my sweet spot, remember, I'm an educator. Mm-hmm. That invigorates me to have someone have an awakening so that they can have a paradigm shift, so that they can lead in the manner in which they were called to do. That fuels me to say, let me teach you context. Let me teach you that. I don't want to dig in the blame and the shame game. I don't want to do that. And you don't need to call me and apologize. What are you apologizing for? Did you wreck my car? Did you, you know, steal some money for me? Quit calling. I don't want you to apologize. I want you to be aware. And now forgive yourself for not knowing. That's between you. Like, I'm all about, that's your monkey. You carry it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for real. Don't give me your monkey and apologize and be sorry and be traumatized. But if you want to grow, call me. I got you. (laughs) <laughs> and if you want to move forward, I got you. If you want to have honest conversation, I got you. If you want to take a risk and say, I'm thinking about this, I got you. But if you want to sit in your sorrow and your shame and your pity, I'm not your girl. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that is a big part that some people, you know, really have a hard time with. And, um, um, yeah, I mean, shame is a powerful thing. You know, so, I, mean, I definitely have moments where I feel overwhelmed um, by things, but I, I, I totally, that's something that, you know, I have to own on my own. I have to work through that on my own. Um, and I don't think it, it's not going to help to just, you know, when you turn it around and you're like, oh, but this is now I feel like a terrible human being and you make it all about yourself. Like, like, how are you going to solve anything that way? So yeah, I'm like, um, oh, okay. I just say, you know, oh, okay. Interesting, like the fact that I wonder if it's like equality in people who are willing to move abroad and have like the carpet just torn out from under them where like all these assumptions that they have about their their own culture and where you're from are kind of taken away and you kind of have to be a little bit crazy to do it like like just to embrace the discomfort every day you know I remember and I think there's something to that there's something to just this willingness to start kind of over and be like, okay, this is a new adventure. I, I have a lot to learn. I'm in a new place 
And I feel like we're going through like a mini version of that as a country. And some people are just really hunkering down and they're not comfortable with discomfort. Right. And it was really hard. And I, and I, and I tell people like, again, I've lived a really, I've, I've had some amazing experiences and my child who's traveled around the world since he was a baby has had amazing experiences. However, I was still cognizant in every new country I went to, or I I visited depending on like when I was, even when I went to Africa and I went to Egypt and I did some other things that there was still a whole level to that is that where even we lived in Germany, I was still black first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even I, I couldn't deny the blackness. And I think that's what people don't understand is that when you go in almost every culture, you think about the crusades, the conquerors, that whole European space, white made right in a sense. Yeah. White was a power construct. And then there was different hierarchy because again, race is a social economic construct to actually categorize and rank people. And so when we understand the context of it, now we can kind of go, oh, okay. <laughs> now this makes sense to me that it's about me, you know, but it's not necessarily me. And this is how it fits. And this is where I enter. And so I love to frame conversations and I love people who sit back and don't jump. Learn to respond instead of react. We need you for the long game, not today. Right. And that's kind of gets back. Like people, some people want to be like, okay, what do I do? Let's, let's fix this. And it's going to be a lot more of a marathon than, than a sprint. But, um, but talking about your, your blackness overseas, like one of the things that I experienced in China is my whiteness. And that's a weird feeling because I feel like I've been conditioned in the U S to sort of like, whether I knew it or not, there's like just, there's this conditioning that I think a lot of people feel it's kind of like white is the default and you don't even know you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go to, and then you go to Asia and you go to some, you know, some of the places I went in China, you, they don't see white people. So just people staring at you, treating you to talking to you like you're dumb. Oh, do you know how to use chopsticks? Like, you know, and kind of the shock that you know how to speak, you know, Chinese and, um, and that feeling of just kind of being like an animal at the zoo that everyone's kind of observing and, um, and then also like the, the unearned, um, sort of advantages, like you know, one time I was standing in line and they're like, Oh no, no, you go first. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, why? Like I was behind you, <laughs> you know, like, and so when I worked with my students, um, who are, uh, you know, were American when I was in China, um, I would tell them like, just be aware of any sort of like unearned, uh, uh, advantages or like, you know, people just treating you different because you're white, you know what I mean? And how it was really interesting how my Asian American students in China were not treated like that. So it was, it was kind of a love hate thing. Like there was also privilege, but there was also weird levels of kind of resentment and different and different stuff that you can feel. But, um, yeah, it, 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 I think that it's an interesting experience to, to just be treated differently for your ethnicity when, when you're conditioned to not think about it that way. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's a, a powerful experience. I think a lot of white people would benefit to knowing what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, I, I jokingly said, and at any point in time, I know like if you have to go just 
we'll cut it and go, but it's just so good. Like, it's my fault. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm, but, I'm so glad. But I I'm just so wanted glad. to say like, what, like, so one of the things that I, I feel like I'm hearing from, from some black people out there is kind of like this exhaustion over like people wanting to be friends with them. Yes. And it's kind of like, dude, like, why, why are you all interested in talk? Like, I know you said like, okay, approach me, talk to me. That's what I was kind of talking about. The diversity of of, of how people respond to all of this and how overwhelming it is. Right. And the, the, um, I just want to throw out another sort of, uh, again, not saying that I understand, but just this is one association that I made in my mind about being in China when people found out that I was from California. I was an American and not only was I an American, I was from California and sort of being treated like, wow, okay, you're from California. I want to be friends with you. And it was that feeling of not knowing, wait, do you really want to be friends with me? Or are you just wanting to be friends with me because I'm an American from California? And is that feeling of like, you don't, you don't know me. You don't know if you really want to be friends with me. And I remember when I started making real friends in China, which was, you know, a lot of work to overcome, um, you know, these sort of invisible barriers, the cultural differences and stuff um, that, that feeling of, oh, okay, this person sees me for me. And I'm wondering if that's sort of, I can imagine, but I don't know. I would have, is that sort of what some people might be feeling right now? is like this, this like rush to like, okay, I got to get myself a black friend. Yes. <laughs> I love how you say that. Thank you for that. I love that. Thank you for saying that. It's like, I want to post no new friends. I'm good. I got, I got a whole patch of white friends. I'm good. And <laughs> we've been friends a long time, you know, but I think that it's, again, they're trying to make themselves feel get better. Right. And, and that's a, a method instead of openly going again, I respect anyone that comes and says, you know, I don't even know what to do. I'm just kind of just trying to figure some stuff out. And, you know, can you even, you know, can I even book some time to talk to you? Like I have a couple of clients who are actually in the coaching space and I told them, don't you ever let me see this or I will cut you off immediately. Do not offer black people your life coaching for free as your solution to black lives matter. I said, (laughs) I'm going to teach you. I'm going to coach you. Yeah. That's, that's probably not the right. Don't do it. I said, cause right there, I can't protect you when they come after you. Actually, I saw, I saw, I saw some of that in the fence. I think. Did did, did I? I Okay. Yeah. They're even in some of my other groups. And then they were like, I want to give you my life coaching for free. And that's going to be, that's the least I can do for black. And I'm looking at them like, for real? Like you get rid like, of coaching. I offer you some life coaching. On- <laughs> Ask, get real services. You know what I mean? Like I said, like here's access to services I need, you know, right. business services, legal services, things that access, give me access to some things. You got a secret sauce and a secret recipe. Give me access to that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, don't, like I, I get it. But they were, again, it was a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And so I've, I, I told him, again, I had one class. I said, pull back, pull back, honey. I said, here now, because again, I'm also your business strategy. Let me tell you strategically how to enter where it's good for you and you can be there for the long haul. It's aligned to who you are. 
And I'm going to show you how to monetize it and make it feel good. I said, so that you don't feel like you're a martyr for the cause. I said, because a couple of years later, my business went down because I was helping the black people. No. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, like, you're right about that. Like, you get this overwhelming, you know, urge, which is why I said I offered to all of my inner circle, call me. I don't care if I answer the phone, I'm awake. If I don't answer, I'll call you back. If you're stuck and you're having a moment, your family, if you're friends, right, your family to me. So the but same way, my- it's like, there's so many people in the U S and like, you know, it's, I feel like we're going through like a crisis of storytelling in this country. And some of it is willful ignorance. And some of it is just really is just not knowing. And so yeah. for, for those people that really just don't know, um, you know, anyway, that's a whole much bigger conversation, but how, you know, they can't, they can't just go out and find someone you know what I mean? So then what happens is I've actually had quite a few people contact me and ask for advice. And so I think there's going to be um, more like non-black people who are put in a position where they're like, people are asking them like, Hey, what are you doing? What do you think about this? What do you think about black lives matter? Like with, and that's with your, good. Your no, it is good. But I just, what I, I guess what I'm saying is the more that we can, you know, educate ourselves and, and help ourselves to understand, but it's, it's also awkward because it's like, I don't want to be speaking for people. Yeah. Right. right? But, but so. I think your heart's in the right space. And I, this the funny part. I have to tell you guys, everybody, this funny story. And I might've told another series, but it's still funny every time. It's like, I have like people who are going, you know, they're posting stuff. They're like, I've been trying really hard. And I said this and then I, I got it wrong and I'm just tired, but I tried, I give up. You have experienced a fraction of what black lived through for two days and you are traumatized. And we talk about 400 years. I talk about 48 years. You had two days right, of someone right. rejecting you for your opinion and you're ready to give up. And now again, you become the victim again. That's exactly what we're talking about is that, okay, the fact that someone didn't openly receive your generosity and said, okay, I hear you, but I don't approve. Of, I, it doesn't resonate with me. You're upset to the point where now you give up. And so I told my friends, I'm on friend watch. What are, what are you doing for the long game? I don't, I don't want to know what you're jumping out there and doing. And unless you want to come detail my car and, you know, give me some new tires. If you really, if you, when they ask me crazy stuff like that, I give them answers that you want to give me some new tires. You want to go wash my car? Do you want to go I mean, like what? I mean, <laughs> cause that's how it sounds to me. Like it's right. <laughs> what can you do for me? Wash my car. Can you go give me some groceries? Can you go take Xavier to go look for, I mean, like if you, <laughs> <laughs> And so, and I make them laugh because I said, that's how you sound. Right. I don't want you to do that. So kind of step back and make a decision for yourself on what feels good for you. Right. What feels good for you? I do think, um, I do think it's interesting. Like I said, all these different responses. Um, one thing that Brene Brown was talking about in her podcast with the author of, of, of the book. Um, Dr. Kundi. Uh, yes, exactly. Thank you for that. I'm terrible with names. Um, she she was talking about how she noticed that he doesn't agree with using shame as a, a, a um, as weaponizing shame as a social justice tool is how she said it. And um, and I think that it's okay to definitely not just okay. It's in, 
critical to call people out. But I have seen cases where some people just go over the top on someone who is genuinely trying, like really over the top. There is a, um, a case of a, um, a American board Chinese student who's a college student and she um, didn't post that Black Lives Matter on her Facebook, but she was giving thumbs up to all her friends who posted stuff about that. But she didn't post herself on her own social media page. And one of her friends called her out publicly like that she hadn't been posting. And then all these other people joined in and started like really ripping into her just for not posting saying, you know, silence is violence, which is a, a valid point. But she was also just sort of like, you know, shell shocked from that and ended up turning into this big bullying thing. And then her parents ended up writing an article in Chinese about it and comparing it to the cultural revolution in China, where people are publicly shamed and humiliated. And that article went viral in the Chinese community all across the U.S. And what I found interesting about this story is, in my experience in China, there's a cultural conditioning that the best way to not get in trouble is to just shut up, right? Like, yeah. like the best yep. way to avoid trouble is you keep your head down and you just don't get involved. And here, this young, you know, Chinese American student was not saying anything publicly on her Facebook page, but she was supporting other people's statements and which is very, I'm sure part of her conditioning. Right. And then there was like this huge backlash against her from very well intending classmates who I'm sure, you know, are wanting to call people out. But I do think that there's a point where you have to, you know, meet people where, where they are. And there's, mm-hmm. I think there is a point where, where, where you can shame someone out of like, you know, where they just can't even function to try to understand. And I'm wondering wondering how you feel about that. Well, well, I have two pieces that I believe, again, I'm in a different woke space. Let me throw that out there to everybody. (laughs) I've been been personal growth work. Yes. Yeah. Just telling people. So don't think I was born this way. I've been doing the work. So when I'm, you're hearing me, you're hearing me as I've been evolving is that what I do know is that everybody has a choice. You right. can choose to feel shamed or not. But that's why I said you got to know who you are. There's three things that you must have in order to not only just function, but to really thrive in life. And that's clarity about who you are. I don't care what anybody says, whatever. I just know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. And you can hold in that. And that takes work, okay? Because once you have clarity, you have the confidence to stand in the face of, and you can fill in the blank. And once you have that clarity and now you have that confidence to stand there when people are even throwing darts at you, you can show up consistently as you are. So I get the same thing. People are, you should be doing, no, I'm not. I'm doing this. I'm good. And I move on. I don't hold on to that, but that takes me have doing inner work to stand in the midst of that. I get bombarded by, I should be speaking this. I should be posting this. I should be, no, I'm doing what I want to do. And I'm like, and I'm good. So again, go take your monkey and you can go ride it however you want to. And so that's that spot where we deal with that subconscious things of our unhidden traumas, our tapes, where when we are getting like, again, people are bashing or they're, you know, whether it's slut shaming, whether it's body shaming, whether it's thought shaming, it's all of that. I have done the work. And I take my clients through doing the work to deal to how to process when that occurs, because it's going to occur. So you have to begin to, again, position yourself and ground yourself and and really train your mind. 
because at the end of the day, you still have a choice on how you feel. No, totally. But I just just think for a college kid, I mean, you have a whole lifetime of experience, right? And so, but I I taught my son. No, I know. I know that. No, I know for a college kid is super hard, but what I'm saying is that when this is happening and the reason why I've done what I've done is because when I go back, when I taught my elementary school kids, when I taught my middle school kids, I said, I'm not going to teach you have or memorize. I'm going to teach you how to think. (laughs) Right. And probably. And so it is something you learn. And so it's horrible that she had to deal with that. And imagine the therapy that she's going to need. It's horrible that people do that. But it's it's one of those things that I still feel like, wow, how can we help this person strengthen their mindset to know that they still have value and that someone else doesn't define them? Because I get upset. I get mama bearish. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why would you have a person like that? Um, but that speaks to the person who is actually speaking. And so I've taught my son, again, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm hundred percent successful even in that, but I'm close to when this happens to you, here's how you start. He's 18. I've been doing this since he's probably been like four or five. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's really great. It's just, you know, losing face is such a, 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 a central part of oh, Chinese culture. It's intense. You know what I mean? Like people have like, outside. Oh, it's yeah. It I mean, I'm just saying I, cause I lived in Asian culture for so long for eight years is that I know how it is. And so, like I said, it's so horrible. And those are some cultural dynamics and some other elements to that. So by no way, shape or form, am I trying to take away that piece of that intersectionality? But when I see it and as I process it in the now, and I'm talking to, like you said, people who've kind of got some years underneath their belt, is that how do we reach back, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing now and saying, let me help people provide context. Let me provide a space for them to hear me say, right. Cause I realized people were listening to me. They were listening. So let me hear me say that you're good. Don't listen to crazy.com about telling you what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. Pause and do what you need to do. And that tune out the voices. And I've had some people who literally disconnected and deactivated their social media accounts. Because yeah, it's it just, it's it besides this one young woman, because her parents wrote this article, it went viral all across the Chinese community here. So like now, you know, people coming to me being like, what do you think about that? And it's, it's very interesting because, you know, talking about like meeting people where they are and that movable middle and how do you get people to like drop their, all their defensiveness and their anger and their resentment or their shame to like listen and try to grow? And I just think that for, um, you know, for people, unless you're like very woke and like very, very, you know, yeah. you've done the work and you've had that life experience and you've built that internal confidence and, and all of that really important work, like, like, so I guess where I'm at, and I guess I, it's, it's kind of bad for me to bring this up in a way is just, I'm just hopeful that like, um, like people like you who can, who can reach across and, and, you know, are, are willing to, cause it, I, you know, it's, it takes a lot of energy and I'm sure, I mean, just for me trying to educate people about LGBT stuff, I know, you know, I've done a lot of hand holding. I've been asked a lot of stupid questions. I've been, you know what I mean? Just stuff that is just like, you know, have to explain it again. Um, and you know, so I've just, I just hope that, you know, we can meet people where they are and, and find a way to get people to, um, you know, really listen. And that's why I've been focusing on like, on like listening recently, just 
it's been, um, it's been intense in a, in a good way. Um, but I love, I love that. And what you're doing as you were speaking and, and it just sat with me is that part of the frustration that, um, especially for black people during this time is exactly kind of what you're saying is that we've been dealing with this and having to have these talks and having being attacked our whole lives. Yeah. Like this is what, this is what we've lived through. And so there's a little bit of petty patty in there. Like, yeah. okay, we've this uh, for 48 years, I had to do this. Oh. And so that's yeah. where I think where I, I mean, like people have to kind of take themselves out of it a little bit and go if they didn't react the way that you thought that they should is that they're still dealing with their own tape. Yeah. Like, I've been dealing with this my whole life. And so you got a week and you got two weeks, you got a month and, and, you know, you're struggling, try having generations of this. Yeah. And, so and I, then, you know, to- totally, totally. And that's why I think, um, you know, there's no way that we could have gotten um, same-sex marriage passed unless we had straight people supporting us, right? And right. so, you know, we this is going to have to be a a group effort across all different demographics um, to to really have you know truth and reckoning of what's happened. And I, I do believe, you know, my friends from um, from Germany was talking about. I mean, you lived in Germany, talking about how it's maybe you can say if this is your experience about how it's just like you know, the Nazis and the, and the horrors that they, um, of that, that, you know, murders and Holocaust, everything was just, it's just put in their face again and again and again. And it's like, we must never, ever, ever forget. And I feel like we never did that here. Right. And so it makes sense that we, we haven't moved on because we've never addressed it. And so that's something that I, you know, I've been having, just people who are really nice, you know what I mean? <laughs> really nice, movable, movable, but I see them as a movable middle where it's just like, it's, um, it's about stepping out of your own shoes and, and, and letting yourself be uncomfortable and listening more and, you know, not trying to rush to a solution and starting where you are, you know what I mean? So, um, so Anyway, I mean, where do you have it? Like I'm sitting there going, like, cause I'm like, I'm like, I said, you know, I'm over the moon going, yeah, I got her for longer. Um, <laughs> well, I know. Cause my friend never, my friend never wrote me back yet. So like, uh, so I got a little bit extra time and I feel like I'm, I hope I didn't go too far out there. Rambling no, about whatever. Perfect. No, I was like, yay. Oh. Yeah. But I <laughs> guess what I'm saying is that it's really interesting because people don't, some people don't want to go to a black person and ask because they're like, oh, is it okay? Is it going to be okay? So I've had, um, especially people from the Chinese community here coming coming to me to ask questions. And so then I'm like, well, I better, you know, start. <laughs> I know that I have a lot to learn. You know what I mean? I'm nowhere near um, far far enough along. Um, so and I'm putting together some really great resources. And I said, I did this first thing. And so I was putting together, and when I say resources, is that resources that I would use when I taught the class mm. and that I would use my students. Okay. So not necessarily just what's trending is that to real give real and, and vetted resources. Mm-hmm. I never taught from my textbook. <laughs> I mm. actually taught from um, actual real documents and mm-hmm. I taught um, other additional resources. And so it was kind of going back in and pulling those out and saying, okay, here's the series that I love and that I would, you know, 
teach my kids with. And I say kids plural because anyone that came in my classroom, they're my kids for life. And so I teach them. And so now they're like, oh my God, thank God that we talked about, you know, um, the Jim Crow era. We talked about reconstruction. We talked about, you know, the ramifications of sharecropping. I mean, we talked about it. And to the point where I had parents way back, and this is what, 20 years ago, who were upset. Like, how could dare you teach, you know, my kids like this truth? And I was like, I actually gave them um, inquiry-based learning. They ask a question and then they had to go dig deep and provide the connectedness to it. And so right. they were in charge of their own learning. And I had kickback from that. And, mm-hmm. and again, I was never traditional. So what I'm putting together for leaders particularly is how to begin to have these conversations, how to begin to enter the workplace and be able to deal with it. You can't ignore it because it won't just become the elephant in the room. It will become the carbon monoxide that yeah. will kill your culture. Yeah. And so you've got to deal with it. And how do you, and I don't, you don't necessarily need to have to bring in a trainer facilitator, which is great. If you do, I'll come, but I want to teach a leader how to have the conversation as a leader. And, um, and so I realized that that was part of what the work that I do. So again, how am I going to construct things that are great resources for leaders? I began to do that. Yeah. Well, I would love to share it around with any people I know in business and, you know, help you spread the word any way I can. So, cause I think a lot of people are asking questions right now. And I think that's what gives me some hope is just like, you see people who are, you know, saying, Hey, I never talked about this before, but I'm realizing that needs to be talked about. So it's, um, it feels like a start. Yep. Well, I just want to say, thank you. Thank you. Super amazing. Thank you. And well, guys, there you have it. Until next time, this has been like walking through glass and this has been phenomenal. Thank you, Pat, for just being here and sharing your truth with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really just wonderful talking with you. So thank you so much.